Good morning, everyone. Thank you all for gathering together to worship God today and hear from his word. This, this is awesome. I love that uh, interview that Andrew did with Abby. Thank you, Abby, for sharing today. And yeah, baptism uh, deadline is tonight or maybe tomorrow. I don't know. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out, but would love to have you be a part of that next week. If you've never followed through, that's a command from Jesus to, to be baptized. So we need to make sure we do that. We are in this series called Created to Connect. If you're new here, my name is Adam, and uh, so glad to be able to be back here with you after my sabbatical happened at the end of the summer, and now diving right into an easy topic about sexuality and gender, and we're in week two. Last week, we kicked things off with some foundational elements, and I think that's important because it's really easy for us to get lost in all the complexity and the nuance and the the politics and the argumentation around issues of sex and gender. And so I wanted to make sure that we started with a foundation, or at least that everybody understands here is where we as a church start in God's word, Uh, partly to explain why are we doing this series, why is it important, but also partly to make sure that we kind of have the foundation stones for what's going to come later on in the series. So I wanna take you back through those foundation stones really quickly just to remind you of where we came from last week. The first one was we believe that all people are created by God. Every single person, whether you believe in God or not, we believe that God created you. And so that's the place that we start. That means even the people that disagree with us, even the people that might hate us, we would still say, hey, you're created by God. Foundation stone number two is we believe that all people bear God's image as relational beings. We talked last week about how God is a relational God and he created us to be relational like he is. And so we understand that there is a desire for relational intimacy among people, but it may not always follow God's design for relational intimacy. And so we have to be aware of that, but all people bear God's image. Number three, we believe that all people have value because God values them. And so you, no matter what you believe, no matter what you do in life, God values you. And number four, we believe that all people are under the authority of Jesus and will find true happiness only when obeying him. And that's one of the main reasons we would dive into a topic like we're doing in this series is because we believe that Jesus has all authority in heaven on earth and he has some things to say about the way we conduct ourselves in our lives and he shared things with his apostles who passed it down to us and we believe it's important to obey and respect the authority of Jesus Christ. Jesus said that all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. And so we recognize that every single person, whether they believe in Jesus or not, or just think he was a good person, they may not fully accept his authority, but he does have authority over them. And so we want to share what he teaches and what he taught his apostles. And then foundation stone number five, we believe that God's boundaries for sex and gender are designed to protect us and give us the most fulfilling life that glorifies him and honors his design for us. And so we don't share what we share, what the Bible says about sex and gender and other things because we hate people, because we we don't love them in some way. We actually share it because we do love them. And we believe that life will be best when lived according to God's design for them. One of the reasons why I start with these foundation stones and repeat them again today is because I think it's easy for us when engaging in issues of the culture to lose sight of the fact that the person that we might vehemently disagree with and who might literally hate us is still someone who is created in the image of God, someone who um, God loves and values and cares for. And if they will give their life over to God and live for him, they're gonna have a wonderful life. And if they don't, there are gonna be some consequences of that. And we love them. We don't want that for them. So we share what we share out of love 
and certainly not out of hatred or shame or judgment or despising because that is not our goal. That's not what we're trying to do. Today, I want to build on the foundation of last week. And we're going to talk about two key concepts. This will be a very different kind of of message than what we've done in the past where we go through a book of the Bible like Acts. This is one we're going to look at two words that I think are at the core of a lot of the misunderstanding and confusion in our culture today uh, concerning sexuality and gender. And those two concepts or words are intimacy and identity. How does intimacy work? And where do you get your identity? I think those are really at the core of the confusion we see in the world today about sex and about gender. And please don't read too much into that word confusion. Whatever you believe about sex and gender and other issues and whatever side of the arguments you are on, I I hope you can look around you and recognize there's a lot of confusion out there. There are a lot of people who are confused about what to believe about sex, what to believe about gender, what they believe the Bible says about sex and about gender. People can be confused by that. And at the very least... They're confused by why other people believe what they believe and why they don't all agree and and share the same views. How can you not see that my way is right? That confuses me. So there's a lot of confusion out there. But there's also confusion for young people today who are growing up in a world where between the news and entertainment and social media and even their teachers and their parents in some instances and even some churches are giving them all these different conflicting ideologies that lead to a tremendous amount of confusion at a time when young people, in particular, are trying to figure out what does a close, intimate relationship look like that's going to be satisfying and fulfilling for me, and who am I? What is my identity? Who am I as a person? And they're getting all these conflicting views from people, and it creates so much anxiety and angst and confusion for them. And I believe that whether people realize it or not, this all can be can be traced back to issues of intimacy and identity. So I'm going to start this message by giving counterfeit foundation stones. These are the foundation stones that that are kind of the starting place, I think, for a lot of the ideology of the world. And that's not universal, but I think you'll see as we go through it that it's prevalent. It, it It is often pushed in these ways. Nobody comes right out and says it for the most part. But I think a lot of it's behind the scenes. If you strip away the layers of a lot of the confusion that exists in the world and you get down to the root issue, which is where I want to go, then I think you will find that we're dealing with different ideas and different foundation stones or beliefs about intimacy and identity. In fact, I would submit to you that just given what I believe and what I see in God's word, I think this is the result of satanic forces at work. I think this is you could, you could look at these counterfeit foundation stones that I'm going to share with you as almost being like the marching orders that Satan has given to his demonic forces to say, go out and confuse people with this. Go out and distract them from God's design for them. Go make them believe some version of this so that they'll get off on the, on the wrong track and they'll focus on the wrong things and they'll never know the life that God has for them, the wonderful things that could happen in their life if they were a part of his family. No, I want you to distract them with these other things. And so that's just where I'm coming from. I believe that, that when we're sitting across the table from someone who is arguing against us on these issues, we have to recognize that they're not doing this on their own. This is part of a movement that has happened around the world and in our culture, and it's been going on since the world began, where Satan and his forces are working to try to turn people away from God and away from God's design, where they love to cause confusion and frustration and depression and anxiety. That's what they're all about. I think they enjoy that. 
And that's their mission in life. And so we have to recognize that we're not just in a battle for people's minds on this or even their hearts and minds on this, but we're in a spiritual battle and we're facing a spiritual enemy. And the person who disagrees with you isn't your real enemy. You have a different real enemy. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 6. Here's what he says. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So there is an unseen world and there are forces at work that are causing a lot of the confusion and a lot of the wrong thinking that exists out there that goes against God's design. And we have to recognize that doesn't all come from people. There's another force that's behind that. Peter said in 1 Peter 5, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so you may be here today and you may not have a, a Christian faith and, or you may be watched online right now and, and you don't believe what we believe, but I want you to understand where we're coming from. I want you to understand that as we dive into this topic, we're not doing so as people who come in with a lot of judgment on our end where, where we're speaking shame because we think you should live differently. We're coming at this and saying, hey, God has a design for your life and it's awesome. And when you deviate from that, it's not good, but he's given you the freedom to do that. And we wanna share what we have to share out of love. And we believe that there is actually a spiritual enemy out there who is working against this and trying to influence and trying to guide and trying to shepherd a very different kind of life because that's his mission, that's their mission. We just have to understand what's going on. So I suspect that these counterfeit foundation stones are almost like his marching orders not meant to be spoken clearly, but meant to be interpreted and applied in a lot of different ways in the culture today, in our society, through all the means of communication possible to lead people away from God's design. So that's enough preamble. Let me get into it. Counterfeit foundation stone number one. Real intimacy comes from sexual activity. Real intimacy comes from sexual activity. This is, this is a core idea that's behind a lot of what we see in our world today in the Western world in in particular, that real intimacy comes from sexual activity. You see it in music to a great degree. A lot of the popular songs out there today are all about sexual activity and not within God's design for sexual activity, certainly. Actually, they're very explicit about that. Now, if you go back decades in the past, there was a lot of music that were the most popular songs were about stories, they were about work, they were about life, uh, they were about love, they were about breakup and heartache. They're about all sorts of different things, but typically they, they weren't a lot about sex. Now, fast forward to today, and the most popular songs that go viral and make the most money are often about sex. In fact, there was a study in, in 2021 that looked at all the most popular songs over the last several decades and found just that, that the popular songs have two things in common that are very different from decades ago. One is that they're very simple They become very simple and not as complex as they used to be. And number two is they're all about sex. And so there's this tremendous emphasis on sex in our culture. You look in our movies today and in our shows, in TV shows especially, it's amazing to see how just in the last 10 years, it's almost like they're all trying to outdo each other for how raunchy they can be with depicting sex on screen. And the most popular, most famous shows out there, many of them, a big part of what they do is just how can we show something shocking and graphic and sexual as a part of this. And so sex is just, it's all over our culture. It's been elevated in our our culture. It's also at the same time been belittled in a way because it's treated as casual. It's treated as no strings attached, friends with benefits. There's no commitment involved in many cases. And so it's just this easy, cheap, low barrier kind of thing 
but it's also often viewed as the thing you have to do if you're going to be in a close, intimate relationship with someone. And so sexual activity is confused for intimacy. Even if you think about the way we use language today, there are certain words that if I use them, for many people today, they will, into, they will immediately just assume there's a sexual relationship involved. Words that in the past would not have raised an eyebrow. I was talking about this with our staff this week, and one of them mentioned how she was reading Pride and Prejudice. And it's an older book from an older time. And so there's language in there that's used for two guys who are friends with each other. And as she read it, she thought to herself, if this were written today, I would think that they were lovers. But that has nothing to do with the story that's not in there at all. She said, it's just, it's the way my brain immediately went to how they were talking about each other with this affection and this intimacy, but it had nothing to do with sex at all. Another staff member said that he was reading through um, some of the letters that former presidents would send to each other. And they were written with such a warm, affectionate, intimate language that if it were written today, you would pro- if you know, the young people would call it sus. It's like, why... Are they talking this way to each other? There must be something going on between those two. But, but that's what happens. Even if I use the word intimate, if I say someone was intimate with someone else, there's a good chance for many of you that your mind immediately thinks, oh, sexually intimate? And that's not what that word always used to mean. There's a lot more to intimacy than just sexual intimacy. But sex has, has become such a pervasive thing in our culture that it's viewed as the pathway to intimacy and it's also viewed as very casual and cheap. It's viewed as something that if you're an adult and you're not having sex, then something's probably wrong with you. If aliens were to visit our planet and were to look at our entertainment and our social media and our our TV shows and, and especially read a lot of our social media posts, they might walk away and think that the worst thing that could happen to an adult human is to not have sex for very long because it's just viewed as this huge part of our culture. And if you haven't had sex for a long time, what's wrong with you? And that's why you get, you know, movies like the 40 year old virgin and things like this. They're like, what, what's something must be wrong with you if you're not having sex right now. So it's, the, it's this essential part of, of relationships in our culture today. Now, here's the truth about intimacy. Real intimacy is about closeness, honesty, and love. Real intimacy is about closeness, honesty, and love. Listen to what King Solomon said in Ecclesiastes. He said, two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. And get this, likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. Now, just with that, your mind may have gone somewhere, but that's not what's intended. Two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. Now, there's nothing sexual about this relationship, but there is an intimacy here and a closeness and a trust that is here that is really incredible. Solomon is saying that if you've got someone that you really trust and can be vulnerable with and close with, then if somebody falls down, the other's going to help them up. Why? Because they value that person. They care about them. They have compassion. They have love for them. If you're traveling at night and it's cold and you need to lay down, you're going to huddle together for warmth. You're not going to stay apart from each other. If you get attacked, you value each other's lives. You defend each other. You trust each other. You stand back to back and you fight together against your enemies. There is an intimate, close relationship here has absolutely nothing to do with sex at all. Now, why is it a problem 
that we have this counterfeit foundation stone of intimacy so closely linked with sexual activity that we see making its way into so many things in our culture today. What, what is the problem with that? Well, there are three things, three problems that I want to point out to you. Number one is when intimacy equals sex, it leads people to rush into sexual intimacy too quickly without understanding the consequences. So it makes boys think that the goal of dating is to have sex. And it makes girls think that the way to get real intimacy is to have sex. And so it causes them both to rush into sexual intimacy too quickly. Now, as with any good lie, there's a kernel of truth there. Does sexual intimacy improve intimacy for married couples? Well, it certainly can. In the right context within God's design for sex, it can be a wonderful thing. But outside of God's design, that's when it causes problems. And if the pathway to intimacy is sex and those two are always linked together, then people naturally are going to rush into it quicker than they should, which leads to hurt down the road. The second problem that results from this, when intimacy equals sex, is it means that you have shallow relationships that miss out on the many other aspects of relational intimacy. If we see sex as the biggest part of intimacy, then we ignore all the amazing dynamics of relational intimacy that are possible outside of just the aspect of sex. Yes, sex can be a part of that for for married relationships functioning the way God intended, but you can have close, wonderful, trusting, intimate in the old sense of the word relationships that don't ever go to sex. And if you're married, your relationship needs to have lots of intimacy that doesn't just involve sex. We can think of intimacy like a pie chart with all these different kinds of intimacy that we can have in relationships. And sex is a part of it, for sure. But there's all these other different things. And this is just a bunch of them that I came up with. There's there's probably lots more categories that you could add to this, different ways. And I would encourage you, I see a lot of people taking pictures. Take a picture of that, because I've got uh, some homework for you. If you're married, one thing you could do is take this chart, and for you and your spouse, separately... Set aside some time to just go through your relationship in your head and say, how would I rate our intimacy in each of these areas one to 10? I know that sounds scary and uncomfortable, but if you do that and then you come together and you talk about where your scores differ, you're gonna reveal some areas that you can focus on in your relationship and you'll probably reach a new level of intimacy in your conversations that you've never had before. Just by talking about, hey, not just the sex thing, you can rate that one too. But on the other ones, where are we at right now? How do I feel about this level of our relationship? How do you feel about this level of our relationship? That'd be a great thing for married couples to do, to explore how they can have a deeper and more complete sense of intimacy in their relationship. Now, if you're single, I want you to pay special attention to the last problem. Because the third problem is that when intimacy equals sex, it confuses people into thinking that sexual activity is necessary for a complete and rewarding The world seems to communicate that all over the place. Sex is is in front of you all the time. Whatever you watch, whatever you listen to, it's all about sex. And so it's easy for single people, and I think oftentimes young people, to think, well, that's got to be a focus for me in my life. And that's just not true. You can have meaningful, close, wonderful, loving relationships that don't involve sex. And I want to challenge you to not let worldly thinking and sexual temptation 
to take what might be a wonderful relationship and allow it to become tainted by sexual activity when it's not within God's design because you don't actually need that. I've had so many people talk to me who are single. Some of them uh, have same-sex attraction. Some of them just have another person that they've been dating or attracted to. And, And their struggle is they feel like they have to go all the way into sexual activity or else they won't feel fulfilled. In fact, some of them would say, you know, well, why would God give me this desire if he doesn't mean for me to fulfill it? And the reality is you can have wonderful, intimate, loving relationships where sex is not a factor in that relationship. Now, I wanna pause and do a little bit of a sidebar here because there's something else I thought of this week that I think is worth sharing. There is a role that churches have kind of accidentally played in this where we have, in some cases, marginalized and pushed to the side people who are not in sexual relationships. Now, that's a weird way to put that, so let me say it in a different way. Churches oftentimes focus on marriage and families and forget about singles, widows, widowers. And it's not intentional. It's not motivated by any kind of bad thoughts. In fact, the Bible has a lot to say about marriage. The Bible has a lot to say about families. And so it's good that churches prioritize and emphasize those institutions that God created. But sometimes we do it to the point where we forget about the people that have wonderful, close, intimate, vulnerable relationships and they're not having sex. And that's a good thing. The single people. Jesus was single. Paul was single. Paul highly recommended it. He was like, hey, I wish everybody were single like me. All this time I have... To don't read into that married couples, but Paul's like, I can do all this ministry because I'm single. So clearly, there's nothing wrong with being single. And clearly, being in a relationship with sexual activity is not God's design for every single individual. It's how he designed us from the beginning to function as human beings. But obviously, we have examples from scripture of people who are single, who are not involved in sexual relationships, and yet were wonderful people with rewarding and fulfilling lives and found great joy and great intimate relationships with people that just did not involve sex. And so single people, you need to hear that if that's God's plan for you, either temporarily or for your life, that's okay. And churches, we need to be aware of this and intentional about offering discipleship and deep relationships and including people who maybe are not in a married relationship or don't have a family. This shows up especially in things like small groups and in different ministries that we have. It shows up for single people when one of their single friends gets married and now that dynamic changes. Or even worse, they have a kid, you know, and now you've got to think about bedtime and babysitting and just things change and that's okay and relationships change and context changes and that happens and that's natural. But let's be careful to not forget about people who are in God-honoring lifestyles that don't involve sexual activity because that's not what God has for them right now. And I just think that's something that the church needs to recognize and own up to and in general do better in. There are so many amazing and close, intimate relationships that you can have with other people that don't involve sex. Let me just give you a handful of them from scripture. There's emotional intimacy. Romans 12, 15 says, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who who weep. There's not a lot more intimate that you can get than somebody who is just deeply struggling with something or has learned some terrible news and to cry with them. That's an incredibly intimate thing. Or empathetic intimacy. Galatians says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. There's respectful intimacy. 
Philippians says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. What trust is built in a relationship when you say, I'm gonna value your interests over mine. That's a respectful kind of intimacy that's formed. There's affectionate intimacy from 1 Peter 3. Finally, all of you, Peter says, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another. Nothing sexual about that, just love one another. Be compassionate and humble. That's an affectionate intimacy that we can have in relationships. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. That's like an intellectual intimacy or a maturing intimacy where we're growing close together because we're being honest with each other. You know, when iron sharpens iron, there's some sparks. There's some friction. It's not always easy. It's not always fun. But if we're smart, we're going to learn to love that. And we actually trust the people who are, who are honest with us. Like when the Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. If they're truly a friend and there's an intimate uh, relationship that's built there with trust to where they can share something and say, you know what? I think you missed the mark on this one. I think you could do better on this one. But I'm telling you because I love you and I want what's best for you. That's a wonderful, intimate relationship. There's vulnerable intimacy. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other. That's pretty vulnerable. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It's amazing when you actually get real with people and share the sins that you're struggling with, the kind of vulnerability and the intimacy that that forms. Sex has nothing to do with it. But it's all about that rewarding, fulfilling, satisfying, vulnerable intimacy that can exist there. And that's something all of us can have if we're willing to let down our guard with trusted people, oftentimes in groups like small groups, and just get vulnerable with each other, that relational intimacy. Then in Colossians 3, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. We'll call this forgiveness intimacy. When someone has wronged you and you say, I forgive you, trust can actually be built there. And let's face it, we're human. No matter what relationship we have, we are going to have opportunities to live this out. And you can either be bitter and hold a grudge, or you can forgive and allow the relationship to heal. And there's an intimacy that comes from that. So if you're single today, I want you to know that God's design for you is to have close, wonderful, loving, and yes, intimate in the old sense of the word relationships with other people. But if you're single, his design for you is not for you to have sex. And it's certainly not what the world has in mind of casual sex and sex that's everywhere and sex that leads to intimacy. He wants you to have all kinds of intimacy in your relationships, but it doesn't cross those boundaries that he's given to us, which we'll be talking about later on in the series. So this is, this is setting more foundation for what is to come. Let me move on to foundation stone number two. Counterfeit foundation stone number two is that your identity, we just talked about intimacy, now identity, your identity is largely based on your sexual desire and gender expression. The idea that who you are as a person is largely a function of who you are attracted to sexually or who you present as sexually. I know this isn't true for everyone, but it is a pervasive thought in our culture today. And it, it's certainly a very strong thought for young people today. That your identity is oftentimes boiled down to or a, a major component of is who you're attracted to sexually. If you think about it, what is the prevailing popular idea about identity in our world today? It's, it's how you identify as or who you identify as. And that oftentimes is in the context of sexual desire. 
And so you're straight or you're gay or you're lesbian or you're bi or you're pan or you're all these different things that you can identify as. And many of them just have to do with who are you attracted to sexually? As if that is your identity. It's not that you're attracted to people who have the same sex as you. It's that you are gay. It's an important shift in language there that talks about who you are and what your identity is. Now, more recently, the same thing is true for gender expression. And so if you feel inside that you are a different gender than what your sexual organs would suggest, then you have an identity of transgender. And so now you are transgender. It's an identity And it's the world's way of saying, this is who you are. This is what you are. This is what you identify with. And there's nothing you can do about that. You just need to embrace it because it's who you are. You get this group label, this group identity, and it just becomes a part of your being. It's the lens that the world sees you through. Now, I want to be careful here because I don't want this to just be about sexual identity or gender identity because there are other things that we wrap our identity up in that aren't healthy. There are other things like our work, our career, that for many of us has become our identity where if we didn't have that job, if we had to go do a different kind of career that maybe we haven't done in a long time or have never done before, we would have a huge identity crisis or a popularity could be our main identity or it could be our physical abilities or our wealth the resources we've accumulated. So I want to talk for a minute about what happens when our identity is wrapped up in one of these other things. I want to start with work. When my identity is in my work, I am what I do. My work defines me as a person, and I would be lost without my career. If I find my identity in my popularity, then I am what people think of me. My image defines me as a person, I would be lost without likes and attention. If I find my identity in my physical ability, I am what I can do physically. My strength, stamina, or other physical capability defines me as a person, and I would be lost if I couldn't compete or perform. If I find my identity in my wealth, I am what I'm worth or what I make in a year. My bank account or material possessions define me as a person. I would be lost if I had to live without my resources. So I wanted to start there and then take you here. If I find my identity in my sexual desires, then I am who I'm attracted to. My sexual desires define me as a person. I would be lost without my sexual group identity. And finally, if I find my identity in my gender expression, then I am who I present as to others or who I feel inside. My inner perception of gender defines me as a person. I would be lost if I couldn't express the gender norms I feel inside. And that's a lot of the communication that comes from the world on this topic is, hey, you've got to live your truth. You've got to live out your authentic self. You're always going to have problems and struggles if you don't just present as what you feel inside. This is who you are. It's your identity. So we come from a different starting point. We have a different set of foundations. And so we want to know, well, what does the Bible say about our identity? What does God's word say about our identity? And let me just give you the list and some verses. You can write these down and look these up later. This is what the Bible says about the identity of every person on this planet, whether they believe in God or not. You are an image bearer of God. 
you are a broken and sinful person who by default opposes God. You are a loved creation, even in your brokenness. You are so valuable that Jesus Christ died to rescue you. That's what the Bible says about your identity. Forget sex and gender and work and popularity and all those other things. The Bible says that your identity is as a creation of God who bears his image, who is broken and sinful, yes, but still a loved creation, loved enough and valued enough that Jesus Christ would come and die for you so that you can become a part of God's family. And then if you've trusted in Jesus and you become a part of his family, you take on a whole new identity, which is awesome. And so here's what that looks like. If you've believed in Jesus, then now you are a redeemed, you are redeemed from and forgiven for sin. You are redeemed. You are a child of God. That's your new identity. You have a new life in Christ. You have a new mission to do good in Jesus' name. And you are a citizen of heaven. That's what you are. All these other ways of describing our identity are based on earth. But those of us who believe in God, a creator who loves us, who died for us so that we can be in relationship with him, understand that our real identity has to do with our relationship with God. Not any attributes or desires that this world has to offer. In Philippians chapter three, Paul says this. For I have told you often before, And I say it again with tears in my eyes that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite, the things they desire. They brag about shameful things, the things they should not do outside God's boundaries. And they think only about this life here on earth, earthly, worldly attributes. But we are citizens of heaven. That's our identity, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. Now, why does Paul say all of this with tears in his eyes? Is it because he hates these people? Is it because he despises them? Is it because he wants to heap shame on them and judge them? No, it's because he knows that their path leads to destruction. When all they care about is their desires, when they're defined by worldly attributes and worldly pursuits, and that's their identity in life, it's a terrible thing because it leads to their destruction. He doesn't want that for anyone. God doesn't want that for anyone. Peter tells us that God is being patient with everyone today because he doesn't want anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. That's what Peter says about God. He's saying he's being patient right now. He wants more people to be a part of his family. He doesn't look at the person who disagrees with him, who doesn't believe in him, who doesn't like the idea of God at all and say, I want nothing to do with you. He actually looks at them and says, oh, I wish you would repent. I wish you would turn. I wish you would live according to my design for you. It's going to be so much better for you. And so Paul says it with tears in his eyes. He doesn't want this for anyone. He doesn't look at people who disagree with disgust. He looks at them with compassion and love and care. You may see yourself through a worldly lens. You may see yourself through the lens of work identity or popular identity or sexual identity or gender identity, but God sees you through two lenses of identity. You're either a child of God or you're a potential child of God. Those are the options. If you're living on this earth, you're either a child of God or you're a potential 
child of God. Take sex out of it, take gender out of it. That's your real identity. We need to start there. And we need to look at everyone on this planet that way. You're a person who bears the image of God, who God loves, who God wants to be a part of his family and a part of his kingdom. And we can talk about all the other stuff. But if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, your identity is first and foremost as a child of God. And then from there, we can build and get into all of the other questions. So my question for you today as we begin to wrap up this message is, are, first of all, are you a part of God's family? Are you someone who has trusted in Jesus and said, I believe in what God did for me and I may not fully understand it all and I certainly don't have a degree in theology, but I wanna be a part of that family. I want that new life in Christ. I want my identity to be about my relationship with God, not my desires and appetite for worldly things here on earth. And today would be a great day to make that decision and to say, Jesus, I'm gonna trust in you. I want you to give me a new life. We're gonna give you a few moments now to think about that. And I have, I have something else for you as well. But for those of you that have never decided I wanna follow Jesus with my life and you've been wrestling with your identity and wrestling with your relationships and wrestling with intimacy and all these different things, look, Jesus Christ offers you new life in him if you will confess your sin to him and say, look, I get it. I'm, I'm not living according to God's design. I need Jesus to change my life. God, would you forgive me for my sin and come into my life and help me to have that new identity? It doesn't have to all make sense now. We spend a lifetime trying to figure out what that looks like and grow close to God in our relationship with him. But take that step, make that commitment and join his family. And by the way, if you do that, please, after the service, come up and see one of our prayer team members and let them know so they can pray with you and give you some next steps. Now, maybe you're a part of God's family and you've trusted in Jesus. But maybe today's message for you is about the intimacy piece. Maybe you're recognizing that in some of your relationships, you have either allowed the relationship to become about the sex aspect and you've missed other aspects of intimacy, or there's just a part of, of intimacy, relational intimacy that we've talked about today that you just have not thought about or focused on at all with your friend, with your spouse, with your children, with your parents, whatever it may be. I want you to take a few minutes and just pray and ask God for guidance and how you can be better at those aspects of intimacy that are in God's word, that are how God designed us to be intimate with others, but sometimes we miss, sometimes we forget. Finally, maybe you're someone that has been struggling with your identity. It could be about work, it could be about school, it could be about career path, it could be about a relationship that you're in, it could be about popularity, it could be about money, it could be about sex, it could be about gender. There are all sorts of ways that we can struggle with your identity. Just sit for a moment and ask God to help you fully recognize your identity in him and to put your faith in that and your trust in that and to take all the worry and the anxiety away about the other things that have become such a core part of your identity. I'm not gonna speak during this time. In fact, we're just gonna close with a song after this. I'm gonna invite you now, if you would, to just bow your heads, close your eyes if you want to, spend a few moments with the Lord in prayer.